I believe the Lord has put us at a strategic place for such a time as this. Amen. This is an exciting time to be alive. Well, I know you've been standing. John chapter 6 and verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. When he gave thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise all of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled... As much as they would meant they could get seconds and thirds and fourths. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above. With God there's always an over and above unto them that had eaten. What a great God we serve. We serve a God of abundance. And I want to speak this morning on this subject, the law of the lad's lunch. The law of the lad's lunch. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Uh, this particular story in the ministry of Jesus is quite uh, unique for several reasons. Number one, it was seen by thousands of people. Uh, there were at least 5,000 people there, maybe closer to 20,000 if we counted, you know, family members. But uh, the Bible does say that there were 5,000 men. So that's uh, the minimum of number of people that were there. This, this was a miracle that was not done among just the disciples or just the followers of Jesus per se. But this indeed was a miracle that was done in a very, very visible manner. There were uh, thousands of people that had seen it and they told their friends about it and they told their neighbors about it. And it, it spread, even though Jesus was up in the Galilee area, it spread all the way down to Jerusalem. Of course, it was a great concern uh, to the Sanhedrin and uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders that were based down in Jerusalem. But there were so many people that had seen it, it was undeniable. And uh, the second thing that's unique about this particular story in the ministry of Jesus is that it was the only miracle that Jesus ever did that's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the feeding of the thousands with this little lad's lunch. But I think a closer look reveals some principles for life that we can lift from this particular passage of Scripture. One of the things that we know about the character and the nature of Christ is that he never does a miracle just to show off just to say, hey, look what I can do, abracadabra, I'm a magician. That's not the way that our God works. 
When God does a miracle, he always did then as he does now. He does a miracle to, number one, meet a need, and secondly, to teach a principle. And in this miracle, we have the story on how to prepare for the harvest of heaven. The first thing that we see when we look at this, and this is a unique part of this passage, is that just because the Lord asks a question does not mean he does not know the answer. Just because the Lord asks a question does not mean he does not know the answer. He asked, how are we going to feed him? What are we going to do? It wasn't because he was unsure. It wasn't because he did not know what to do. He asked it to test them, to test their spirit, to test their heart. And he wanted them to recognize their dependence on the miraculous power of God. Because there's going to be situations later in their lives, as there are in our lives, even today, when we are not sufficient for the dilemma that we are facing. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We don't have all the resources. It's bigger than we are. Yes, but it's not bigger than the God we serve. And so the Lord uh, will ask a question that he already knows the answer to, but he wants you to respond because it gives you an opportunity to communicate verbally what is in your heart. He asked Moses, what is in your hand? Moses is standing there with a shepherd's staff in his hand, and he asked him, what is in your hand? It's not as if God couldn't see what's in his hand. He wanted Moses to recognize what was in his hand and what that represented. And of course, to Moses, that staff, being a shepherd at this time, he's out in the desert, and of course, this burning bush brings him to the attention that God is now transitioning him to a different assignment. He's to go back to Egypt and be the deliverer of the children of Israel out of Egypt. But he said, I want to know what's in your hand. And he said, here's what it is. And it's a staff. Okay, throw it down. That's the thing. That staff represented his security. It represented his identity as a shepherd. It represented his profession. And the Lord says, throw it down. Of course, it's thrown down. It turns into a snake, you know. And then he says, pick it back up. Now, I guarantee you, he threw it down easier than he picked it back up. He had been a shepherd. He knew there were poisonous snakes in the desert. But yet when God's in it, you don't have to live in fear. He reaches down and picks it back up and it turns back into a shepherd's staff. Now, why did he ask Moses to do that? Because the Lord wants to know what's in your hand. What can you give God? As long as you keep it in your hand, it may serve you well in the natural, but it will not become supernatural until it's put in the hand of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a supernatural answer. I'm facing something that's bigger than what I can do on my own with my own shepherd staff, with my own ability, with my own identity, with my own resources. It's not enough. But if I put it in the hand of God, God can make it a miracle. He can make it supernatural. He can multiply. But he wants to know what's in your hand. This is the same test that he gave to Abraham when he said, you know, take your son up, thine only, thine only son, Isaac. Take him up and offer him as a sacrifice on the top of Mount Moriah. And of course, Abraham did. And, and that was, I'm sure, not an easy journey because that son represented his future. It represented his legacy. But you know what? The fact that he gave him to God, God took him 
gave him back and multiplied. Multiplied because he had promised him, your seed will be as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And he only had one son. But when you put it in the master's hand, he can multiply it. So when God asks us the question, it's not about information, but it's about the heart. He will give you an opportunity to act out what is in your heart. The text said he already knew what would be the outcome. He already knew. Because one thing you and I must remember is that uncertainty with us does not equate to uncertainty with God. We may not know what the future holds. We may not know how tomorrow will unfold. But we do know who is in control. Oh, hallelujah. We're not ever going to figure it all out. We're not ever going to have absolute security in our own humanity. But oh, when we are in the master's hand, when we rest in the divine principles and the providence of God, we can live with a confidence that you don't get with your own ability and your own income and your own education and your own relationship. You can't get it on your own. But with God, he gives you an assurance, a certainty. Because God knows the answer before you even know that you got a problem. He knows the answer before you know there's a problem. And He's not going to be surprised by it. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows every problem you're going to face. And He knows what you're going to face the rest of your life. He doesn't reveal it all to you because it'd scare you to death. He just wants you to know. Just learn to trust Him. Just trust the Lord. He's already got it. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not blown away by it. And you've got to come to him and say, God, you already knew this was coming. So obviously, you know the answer. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to put it in the master's hand. Hallelujah. And we just got to recognize that we can't solve it on our own. That's the biggest battle for us in our humanity. We want to try to solve everything on our own. How difficult is it for us to even ask for help? We want to solve it on our own. We would do well to recognize that what we have is not enough. Philip answered him and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a little. I'm not even talking about them eating so much that they're full. I'm just talking about if everybody just takes a portion. It's still not going to be enough. 200 penny worth of bread is not enough. It's also Mark that records this amount of 200 penny worth. I don't know if they took a quick assessment of how much change all of the disciples had. But for whatever reason, 200 penny worth was the amount they had to work with. Uh, One translation says that it was about eight months wages eight months wages was not enough to feed this crowd i told you it was a large crowd what we've got is not enough it's not enough money the disciples they collected they pulled it all together they gathered their resources it was not enough they did a little cost analysis and their anxiety went into overdrive have you ever done that you're looking at your budget and you got all your bills then you got your income and there's a gap anybody ever had a gap there's a gap It's not enough. It's not sufficient. Oh, it may not be, but God is enough. Woo, hallelujah. I can imagine Peter, some of the other guys, Jesus, how are we going to feed this crowd? 
15,000 people. How are we going to do it? How are we going to transport the food out here? How are we going to keep it warm? Who's going to clean up the mess? What if somebody gets sick? We don't have enough liability insurance. <laughs> what if we get sued? <laughs> what about all the other? Their minds were going into overdrive. Well, that's the starting point to understanding the law of the lad's lunch. If I want God to work in my life, I've got to admit that I need his help. God will only work where you open the door by saying, I need your help. He doesn't force himself on people's lives. He doesn't knock you out with a blackjack and drag you to the altar and stuff the Holy Ghost in your mouth. That's not how God works. He wants to know, are you going to open the door? The only way you can open the door to your heart is say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I need your help. I got a gap. I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough joy. I don't have enough of whatever I need for what I'm facing. So I'm going to give it to you, God. But you got to ask. He doesn't work in your life until you ask for it. He doesn't save you until you ask. He said, ask and it shall be given. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. So I come to Jesus Christ and say, I got a major need in my life. Because God won't help until you admit, and I admit that we need his help. But the next thing that we see is that the Lord asks what they have. Okay, I've got a problem. We don't know how to feed this crowd. What we have is insufficient. And the Lord says, what do you do have? Mark records this and Matthew records it. God always starts with what you've got. Now, why did Jesus do this? He's God. He could have just rained down bread and fish from heaven. Just like he did the children of Israel with man and low-flying quail. He could have just fed the whole crowd. He could have just been teaching and it just come over like an Air Force flyover and just... You say, I don't know how that could have happened. Well, he's God. He could do whatever he wants to. He was God manifest in the flesh. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, it could have happened in the New Testament. Many times it did. When he healed the, the man that was blind, he didn't even have any eyeballs in the eye socket. He had to reach down and make a new eyeball out of the dirt in the ground. He spit in the dust and made a new... Can you imagine? Oh, I can't believe how unclean that is. I mean, this post-COVID environment, we would have had wet wipes out. We would have had all kind of hand sanitizers and... We would have been calling before the health officials and everything else. He spit in the ground and made a mud ball and put it in the eye socket of the poor man. And, of course, the man couldn't resist. He couldn't say no. He didn't know what was happening. He's blind. (laughs) And there's a ball. And guess what the ball becomes? A working eyeball. You ought to know Jesus was not Jehovah Junior. He was creating in the New Testament, even as he created in the Old Testament, when he spoke the worlds into existence. That's why he could stand on the bow of a boat and say, peace be still. And he could speak to the wind and the waves and everything had to obey. Master's voice. Why did he ask them what they had instead of just doing it? Go see what you've already got. God always starts with what you already have in your hand, what's already in your possession. He gives you gifts and talents. Whenever you started out as a little baby, you had gifts and talents. Some of you could scream. It was an amazing ability you had. One and two weeks old and three. Because I met you on airplanes and in restaurants. (laughs) 
Don't get to be an adult and get up in the apostolic church of the living God and get all quiet and become cemetery plots with faces. You got abilities to lift your voice. <laughs> so God gives you talents and abilities. But he wants to know what's in your hand. What are you willing to put in his hand? You want the blessing of God in your life? Give God whatever you have. Some of you got talents and abilities and you're sitting on it like a chicken trying to hatch an egg. You ought to give it to God. He'd multiply it. He'd use your talent to reach thousands of people if you would just give it to God. You take the energy that you got and give it to Him and He'll multiply it. You take the time that you got and give it to God and He'll multiply it. You take the money that you got and give it to God and He'll multiply it. You take the relationship that you've got and give it to God and He'll multiply it. If you need more friends, be friendly. Give to God what He's given you. If you don't have the right relationships, it's because you're developing them on your own. Take the relationships that you do have and give it to God. He will multiply it unto you. Whatever talent you got, give it to God. God, here's what I've got. You say, but I don't have much. He doesn't need much. He just needs to know, are you willing? Are you willing to give what you've got, what's been put in your hands? It doesn't matter how much it is. It may just be five little barley loaves, and it may just be a couple of fishes. But if you put it in the hand of a master, he can feed a multitude with it. I'm sure there were other people there that had a better lunch than this boy. There's always going to be somebody that's got a better lunch. There's always going to be somebody that's got more money. There's always going to be somebody better looking. There's always going to be somebody more talented. That's why the Bible says don't compare yourself with one another. Whatever God's given you, say, Lord, I thank you for it. I'm putting it back in your hands. Woo, hallelujah. Here's what I got. I come with my scars, with my mistakes, with my faults. I wasn't raised in a good childhood. My dad was an alcoholic. You just give God what you got. You don't have to be of some sort of royal lineage. All you got to do is have a heart that says, God, here's my lunch. I know it's not much. I know there's a world to be saved. And I don't even like speaking in front of people. But I'll give you what I got. I can teach a Bible study. I can pray for somebody in the Walmart. I can live. Lift up God, oh my job. Put it in the master's hand. He will multiply it and return it. If you give it to God. I believe it's worth noting here, and this is what I think the crux of the law of the lad's lunch is, that Jesus took and multiplied what came from the crowd. It did not come from the disciples. It came from the crowd. What comes from the disciples brings addition. But what comes from the crowd brings multiplication. Let me break it down. It didn't come from the ministry. It came from the church. It came from what was already in the field. God will take what's already in the field and He will use it for the bringing in of the sheaves because he's the Lord of the harvest. 
this latter-day harvest is going to come from the masses. It's not going to come from two or three or five or ten or, or twenty or even fifty people that are doing crusades around the world. It's going to come from the masses. It's going to come from people that are so filled with the joy of God that you're saying, I just want to put it in the Master's hand. Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. I'm going to just put it in the Master's hand. I don't know how God's going to work it. I don't see myself as having any ability, but I can be available. And so I'm going to say, Lord, I may not be an ordained minister, but I can work for you. I can say hallelujah, and I can say it a little louder. I can sing unto you. I can bless the name of God. I can be a worshiper. I can bless the holy name of Jesus. I can share my testimony with somebody. You've got a lunch. Put it in the master's hand. This past weekend, we were up in Jacksonville in this ministry that grew out of the WINS conference called Global Harvest in Motion, where we're uh, having crusades around North America as well as around the world. And we're doing training. This is the third time we've done training this year, Global Harvest in Motion. We had the first one here in January in Palm Bay and then Cincinnati and, and then this past weekend in Jacksonville. And one of the things that keeps coming out of this is that God is raising up an army. It can't just be a few people. If we're going to see a, a billion soul revival, we've got to have a million people that have got their hands in the harvest. The multiplication comes from the crowd. It doesn't come from the ministry. It didn't come from the disciples. It came from what was in the crowd. It was just a lad. Nobody knew his name. Nobody knew who his parents were. He was just a lad. He was just a boy. But he was willing to give what he had in his possession. And he gave it cheerfully. And he gave it willingly. And he gave it immediately. He didn't have to battle with the disciples. Don't take my lunch. Here, I'll just give you one piece of bread. He gave it all. And he did it cheerfully. I don't know why, but I believe God was wanting to make known to the men and the women there as he is today that God will use anybody. At the recent general conference in Orlando, Orange County Convention Center, Brother Jonathan McDonald, pastor of a great church in California, he was preaching the Children's Day service. Powerful message. The Lord needs your lad. And he was talking about the colt that he used to ride into uh, Jerusalem triumphantly. And lad, it's being translated colt as young one or lad, one of the translations says. And so he talked about that and he parlayed it to what God is doing with the children of this generation. Oh, it was powerful. The Holy Ghost was moving in such a powerful way. But before the service, they had asked Sophia, my daughter, to pray at the end of the service. There were, I think, three or four other young men uh, that were going to be praying, and they asked if I would just come up and stand behind her as she prays. And the whole crux of the message is that God is going to use the children. Instead of them being recipients of prayer, they can pray. And so uh, we, we got up there on the platform, and, and the different ones started. Uh, and she was the only girl. But if you know my daughter, she can hold her own. And those boys were praying little prayers, and they got to Sophia. And I just had my hand behind her, and I had my hand on her back. And she started praying under the anointing. Oh, my goodness, I could feel like electricity coming off of her back. It was such an unction. The Holy Ghost was upon her. They, one lady was watching in Brazil and made a copy of it and sent it to me on Facebook. 
She was watching the live stream. What I pray right now, since the beginning, God, the devil has been against this children, has been against this generation, because he knows that there's something in the children. There's a faith in the children that is nothing like nothing else. They tried to kill them in Egypt, and they're trying to kill them now. But God knows that there's future pastors right here. There's future ministers right here. Oh, hallelujah. We're not talking about some little... That, that's Brother Danny Hood's son right there. He was at Wins Conference this year. He's got an anointing on his life. That's Colton. He's only 13 years old, but he's praying under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because there's a lad in the crowd. Oh, my friend, don't think God's got to use us or he can't have revival in these end days. Who are we so arrogant that think that God has to use us? He's going to find somebody that's in the crowd. That's got a hunger that says, you can use me, God. I don't have much. I wasn't raised in this. But I believe in you, Lord. Oh, I feel an anointing in this house today. It's going to come from the audience. It's going to come from the masses. God's going to raise up an army of lads. Oh, would you lift your voice in your hands right now? In the name of Jesus. The harvest will come from the most unlikely of sources. The multiplication will come from lads, not disciples. I'm going to say that again because that was a prophetic word. The multiplication is going to come from lads, not from disciples. There's a reason why 80% of the people that are one to the Lord in Christianity, they come from people that have been in the church two years or less. They're still lads. They're still newborn babes. But there's an overflow of the joy of what God has done in their life. And they tell their friends and their neighbors that 80% of converts to Christianity come from people that have been in the church two years or less. That's exciting. But it's also a verdict for all of us that have been in the church much longer than two years. But it wasn't just the lad. It was the disciples too. They got their hands in it. He's just multiplying. I don't know where it's coming from. He just keeps breaking it. And they were serving. And guess what? They were a part of the miracle. Because they didn't say, well, I don't think we ought to use a little lad's lunch. This doesn't have a kosher stamp on it. I don't know if it can be approved. This ought to be something that comes from our own hands. You know you know what they did? They gave what came from the lad. And the Lord said, now set them all down and organize them. And then let's start feeding them. Let's start passing it out. And they're going back and forth. He's got more bread. 
bread. Uh, where's it coming from? I don't know. He's got more fishes. Where's it coming? I don't know. Uh, but I'm a part of it. I don't know about you, uh, but I want to be a part of it. Uh, there's a revival coming in these last days. There's a harvest coming in these last days. Uh, and God is saying, hey, I'll use you if you'll be a part of the process. I will use your ability. I'll use your talent. I'll use your hunger. Jesus just wants to know if you'll put it in his hands. And the multiplication came from the bread being broken. Something's going to have to break for multiplication to come. Status quo is going to have to break for multiplication to come. The bread's got to be broken for the multiplication to come. The fish had to be broken for the multiplication to come. But it came from a lad who gave willingly cheerfully and immediately you see my friend every good gift cometh down from the father of lights every good thing that you have in your life is not because of your own ability it's because of the goodness of god i said it's because of the goodness of god but now god wants to know what are you going to do with it you're going to get a death grip on it if you do then that's going to be it but if you'll turn it loose god will keep multiplying into your life And he will blow your mind because the windows of heaven are without limitation. I said the windows of heaven are without limitation. Don't hesitate. Give it immediately. Say, Lord, here it is. Take my lunch. Go ahead. I don't know if I'm going to eat. It doesn't matter. Take my lunch. Use it for the crowd. Use it to feed the masses. Do you know that some of you have talents and abilities that if you'll put it in God's hand, He's going to use that talent to feed the masses of this end time revival that's going to sweep through the world and we're not going to be on the sidelines. We're going to be in the smack dab middle of it. There's revival coming to Palm Bay. I speak revival over this city. I speak revival over the cities of Melbourne and Vieira and Palm Bay and Sebastian and Vero Beach. There is no limitation to what God can do. He just needs a land. He just needs somebody that will say, here it is, Lord. I give you what I have. He was just a boy. He was just a teenager. What's even more amazing is that he hadn't already eaten it. If it had been my sons, it would have already been gone. What self-discipline? It wasn't gone yet. It had been consumed. God's calling us to be more than apostolic consumers. God's calling us to be apostolic contributors. You've blessed me so much, Lord, I can't do all but you hear it. I'll put it in your hands. And then the residue of that, the overflow of that, the oversplash of God's power now working in what you have put in His hands, not only feeds you, but feeds everybody around you. In just two weeks, we'll receive pledges for our GO ministry. This is the ministry that funds all of our missionaries, almost 90 missionaries, all the special projects, Hands for Healing, that feeds this community, children's ministries. Every year, I'm amazed at the members of East Wind as they step out in faith and commit what God has put in their hand to give to the work of God. I hope you're praying about what you're going to put in the Lord's hand two weeks from today as we receive commitments for 2023. But I tell you today, I rise to declare this to you today, that what God really wants from you and what He really wants from me is our heart.
He wants our heart. He wants our life. But the Bible says where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So where you put your treasure signifies where your heart is. I say to you today, there's no better place to put it than in the hand of the master. If you're going to do it grudgingly, God says, don't bother, just keep it. But if you'll give willingly, if you'll just give willingly. After we were uh, doing this conference in Jacksonville, Brother uh, Charles Robinette and myself and the pastor, Brother Olson from Jacksonville, and Brother Tyler Ritchie and some others, we went out to eat lunch, and we were just talking about all the good things that God had done and the miracles and the power of God and all over the world and crusades. And, and I didn't realize, you know, we're all a bunch of preachers. And we get loud. We don't even realize we're getting loud. We're in the restaurant, and we're just all carrying on, and, and we're talking. And people now start to look at us. And this one young man that was sitting in the booth right over there, he goes, hey, he leans over, he goes, I couldn't help but over here, are you guys like uh, like missionaries or are you, are you like evangelists or who are y'all? And <laughs> Brother, <laughs> Brother Robinette started to say, we're, we're uh, apostolic Pentecostal ministers, I'm a, a missionary evangelist, this is uh, Rick Olson, he pastors a church of Pentecost in Jacksonville, this is David Myers, he pastors each one in Palm Bay, and uh, this is Brother Tyler, he starts introducing, he said, we're just talking about missions work, and the young man said, I'm getting ready to go to Africa, because I'm going to be involved in a missions program next summer, the summer of 23, and it's in the country of Malawi, have you ever been there? And he says, have we ever been there? And he points to me, he said, Brother Myers and I have done crusades in Malawi. We have seen thousands of people get the Holy Ghost. They said, where at? And he said, well, in a long way, in Blantyre, in the north and in the south. They said, this is where we're going. And then the young man's sister chimed in. And she's like, have you ever been in South Africa? Brother Robinette said, I was just there two weeks ago. Then he looks at me and said, he was just there four weeks ago. And these people are astonished. They're looking at us like we're out from outer space. And they're like, you're kidding. This had to be a God thing. Their families are sitting with them. They start to talk about how they're Christians and, and they have a desire to go into missions work. And, and Brother Robinette says, do you mind if I give you the book that I've just written? And he says, I want to go. And then somebody goes to the car and gets the suitcase with his books and he comes and he's starting to sign these books. We're in the middle of the restaurant. People are gathering around. We're having church in the middle of the restaurant in Jacksonville. He starts signing the book, and he's writing like an epistle. He's just writing and writing and writing. And they're like, well, can we pay for the books? He goes, no, I just want to sow into your lives and just give you the book. And, and you just take it. And they're like, yeah, but we want to give you money. He says, well, there's a website inside if you want to get sold into the ministry. But you don't have to do that. Just let me bless you today. And so while he's signing the book, signing the book, and all these people are gathered around, and he's signing the book. And I'm like, you know, thinking I need to, like, talk about the book. And uh, so I said, you see the cover on the front? And he said, yeah, that, that was in Bangladesh. And I said, what happened in that cover picture is that you see that double rainbow over the crowd? And I said, yeah, there, well, there was like 10,000 people in a soccer field. And they were not Christians. They were mainly Muslims and Hindus. And, and there was all black clouds that came. It was fixing to be a monsoon. That's what happens in that part of the world. And it just, you know, we were going to lose the whole crowd. We were going to lose the service. So Brother Robinette, he's signing the book. He's just nodding his head as I'm telling the story. And he's signing the book, signing the book, and signing the book, and signing the book. I'm like, you've already written a book. Just say God's blessed you and sign it. He's like writing an epistle. And he's signing a book. And I say, well, you know, you know, I, I, I think back on it. I think that was brilliant. It gave us a longer time to witness to these people. And so I was witnessing. I said, well, we all got in the field. Brother Robinette said, get out in the field and put your hands in the sky like that. We put our hands in the sky like that. And we started to pray, all of us, our whole team. We started praying. Sister Amy was with us. We're all standing out in the field. We're praying. And we're saying, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you brought these people here to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now we speak against this cloud and this rain, remove it. And as we pray, I'm telling you, am I not telling the truth, babe? 
the, the black clouds rolled away like that and a big double rainbow came over the top of it. And that night, over 3,000 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost that had dots on their head from their Hindu faith and Muslims, but the Holy Ghost was poured out. I told those people, I said, my wife captured it. That's her picture that's on the cover. Do you think he's giving us royalties? No, but my wife took that picture. <laughs> we're just having fun and we're talking about the goodness of the Lord. And they said, do you mind if you pray with us? I mean, we're praying, we're having church in a restaurant. You know why? Because there is an overflow to people that'll just get together and talk about what God's going to do. You can look around and you can mumble and grumble about the political landscape or you can lift up your heads onto the fields that are white under harvest and say, here I am, God. If you can use anything, I'll give you my lunch. I'll give you what I have. Oh, would you stand to your feet all over this auditorium? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You've got to expect Him to multiply it. He's going to multiply it beyond your wildest imagining. Whatever you sow into His hands, He's going to multiply it. Here's what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight, or today. I feel in the Holy Ghost that the Lord would say to each of us, whatever you have a deficit in, whether it be strength, whether it be hope, whether it be faith, whatever you feel inadequate, whatever the gap is, why don't you give that to God today? Because He wants to multiply the area that you feel insufficient. Whatever that gap is, Maybe some of you have been praying for your prodigals to come home. You don't know what to do. Now you're even thinking about Thanksgiving. You're going to be with family members that are unsaved. How is that door going to be open? Recently, I told him in the early service, I think Dr. Myers is here somewhere. Recently, my mom and my sister went up to Boston, Massachusetts, where all of her family's from. My mom was born into a strong Italian Catholic family, the Boston area. And about 17, 18 years old, a friend of hers sent a letter from California and told her about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They had received the Holy Ghost in California. And so she got on a plane at 18 years old and flew to California. And while she was in California, she received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. She came back to Boston and started telling her family. Her family thought she had joined a cult. We should have never let you go to California. They brought her to see Uncle Joe. He was the guy who had education. He had been in the Merchant Marines and he had traveled. And They brought him over to see Uncle Joe and there was supposed to be some sort of debriefing and he talked to her about this and that. And Finally, he just said to her in a very condescending way, well, I guarantee you this thing won't last. But I was with her when she went back and saw Uncle Joe 50 years later. Said, Uncle Joe, I still got the Holy Ghost. still real over the years my grandparents tried to figure out what this Pentecostal movement was all about my mom goes filled with the Holy Ghost she used to take 
the train down into Boston to go and find a church. There was not even a Pentecostal church in her city. But her family retired early and they would come to Florida and she was come down to Florida and she'd find a Pentecostal church and she found a little Pentecostal church. And there was a pastor there. The pastor died and his wife was now pastoring. And she needed a piano player. My mom played the piano. So when her family went back to Boston, my mom stayed there, lived with an elderly lady so she could be the piano player for the church. She was just a lad. She said, I'll give you, Lord, whatever I have. Didn't know anybody. But at a youth rally, a handsome young man straight out of Bible school came through the serving line and she flashed those beautiful Italian eyes at him. She said, would you like a piece of cake? Oh, his heart melt. He had never seen something so pretty. He come from St. Paul, Minnesota. They didn't have beauty like that up there in St. Paul, Minnesota. We just lost all of our live feed from St. Paul, Minnesota. They went into the ministry. She spent her life witnessing to her family. But my grandmother was way up in her 80s when my mom had taught her a Bible study for the third time. And she finally said, Do you think David would baptize me? And she said, Oh, Mom, I know he would. So in the old church down on the east end of Palm Bay Road, Nunna, that's what we call grandmothers in Italian. Nunna said, David! She had a voice like a megaphone. I guess that's where I got it from. David! She'd come to church and holler out David from the back row. That's my grandson! The whole church would turn around. Do you remember that, Dick and Carol? Oh, I loved her so much. Baptize me. So I baptized her and she come up out of the water speaking in tongues. But a few weeks ago, my mom said, my brother is now 94 years old. I got to go back to Boston. And I just got to pray that there'll be an open door where I can witness to my brother one more time. He's 94 years old now. So her and my sister went up to Boston just a couple of weeks ago. They went out to eat. And to my uncle, Jimmy, and his two daughters, Judy and Susan, they went out to eat and they, they hadn't even ordered whenever the son-in-law Susan's husband said so can you tell us I've heard a little bit about it but can you tell us what happened to you when you were 18 years old I'm curious and the door opened up she started telling about being filled with the Holy Ghost at 18, nearly 70 years ago. Being filled with the Holy Ghost. And her brother, who she had witnessed to hundreds of times, says, I don't ever remember this story. You know what that meant? He was more receptive now than he had ever been before. Don't ever give up. 
Don't ever give up. She began to tell him about what God did for her at 18 years old. And she just put her life in his hand and all of the blessings that have flowed from that. All of the goodness that God has done. Because whatever you put in his hand, he's going to bless it. You say, oh, but I feel so insufficient. I feel so inadequate. We all do. But little is much when God is in it. I want to tell you this is what I feel like the Lord is wanting to do, specifically with this church. Number one, I think he wants to draw closer to us. When God draws near, good things happen. But we have to court him. We have to woo him. We have to open up our heart to him. Number two, I believe God wants to stretch our faith. I said, I believe God wants to stretch our faith. Believe me for the impossible. Things that you have taken off the table, I encourage you in the Holy Ghost today to put it back on the table. God wants to stretch your faith. There are many notable, undeniable miracles. God is going to be made manifest in your life. And number three, God wants to save loved ones that you've been praying for. I said God wants to save loved ones. I'm talking about family members. Give God your heart on this issue. If you've got a burden for family members, maybe you're going to be with them during the holidays. I want you to put it in the master's hand and say, Lord, if you'll just open the door, if you'll just open the door, I'll share what you've done for me one more time. Oh, I believe prodigals are going to come home. I believe unsaved children are going to come home. Number four, God wants to bless financially. Some of you have a heart to do things for God but you've not been able to do it because of limited finances. But I'm telling you today, and I feel this in the Holy Ghost, you're going to be blessed over the next 40 days. And when you are, I want you to remember why you were blessed. You were blessed because God is saying to you, I see where you are. And this is just a token of what I want to do. I want to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. I'm going to open up doors of opportunities, but I want to know, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Can I trust you with the goodness of God? And finally, God wants to heal our children. I said God wants to heal our children. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. Our children are under attack. But there are lads that have got a lunch that they are going to put in the Lord's hands. And when they do, God is going to use them to impact this generation like nothing we've ever seen before. If you believe God wants to do those things, would you lift your hands now all over this building? Would you close your eyes? And would you lift your voice and would you declare with your energy and your strength, I receive the word of God. I receive the promises of God. In the name of Jesus, I will bless the Lord at all times. You're my strength. You're my song. You're the joy of the morning. Everything I need, I find in you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
right where you're standing right now, why don't you put your hand on somebody you're standing next to if it's appropriate. And would you pray for one another right now in the Holy Ghost? I believe something God wants to do is going to come from the audience. Come on, would you pray for one another right now in the name of Jesus? Many times we suffer in silence. You're going through valleys. You're going through trials. Nobody knows anything about. But oh, God's got his hand upon you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's it. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray with boldness and authority. I give it to you, oh God. I give it to you. Jesus Oh, that's it. Don't be timid. Be bold in the Holy Ghost. I don't even have to contemplate it. I'm giving it to you, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. I put it in your hands, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I feel. Those of you that are facing some things in your life that you are painfully aware of that there's a gap and you feel that you're in deficit, whether it's a spiritual issue, a financial issue, an emotional issue, a relational issue, whatever it is, but you're here today saying, I'm not enough on my own. for the solution that this dilemma needs. I got a God-sized problem and only God can solve it. 
whatever it is, you're, you're facing a, a situation right now that only God can solve it. I want you to step out from where you're standing and come down to the altar. This, I know this is not for everybody. If you've got everything figured out and everything's going great, don't leave. Just stay where you are. I'm going to need you to help me pray. But if, you, if you're facing right now something that you need God to intervene, you say, I, I'm like the disciples. I only got 200 penny worth. But, but I'm facing a massive issue that, that only God in His divine providence and power is going to be able to resolve it. And I'm going to come down to this altar right now and I'm going to just put it in the Master's hands. I'm going to go ahead and worship God in advance because I believe God's going to make a way. I'm going to go ahead and put it in God's hands right now because God's going to bring the healing. God's going to bring the deliverance. God's going to bring the miracle. I'm going to put it in His hands. I don't have all my ducks in a row yet. I don't have all this figured out. I'm in deficit. But I believe God. I believe anything is possible with God. If you're not here at this altar, but if you'll just stretch your hand out right now. I wonder if you'd just put your hand out toward those that are in the altar. Those of you that were in the altar, I want you to lift up your hands and your voice right now. And I want you to begin to declare your miracle. I will be healed. I will be healed in the name of Jesus. You can do anything, Lord. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. But you can do anything, God. I declare my miracle. I declare the miracle. I can be a worshiper of God. Get all of us at the rebel hook up. I can be a worshiper of you,
Don't stop till you're full of faith. Don't stop till you're full of hope. Don't stop till you're full of praise and worship. Keep on praising Him. Praise Him until you feel a release of the Holy Ghost.